welcome to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast. Every week, Talking Heads will bring you in-depth insights and analysis on the topics that really matter to investors. I'm Andy Craig, co-head of the Investment Insights Centre, and I'm joined today by Valérie Charrière, Deputy Head of European Large Cap Equities at BNP Paribas Asset Management. Welcome, Valerie, and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. Now, in this episode, we'll be discussing European equities and our approach to actively managing the asset class. So, perhaps I could start off, Valerie, by asking, how do you select stocks in Europe? Do you have a particular bias? And if so, what is it? How do you approach the the asset class? We are managing European equities within a team of nine portfolio managers and analysts at the same time. And we are dedicated to fundamental stock picking in Europe. And what we try to do is really picking the stock for which we can assess quality attributes. The aim is indeed to pick the best quality stocks that we can find between 35 to 45 stocks, depending on Euro or Europe benchmark for their quality attributes. Okay, I guess that begs the question, what are for you quality attributes? You know, what are the characteristics of a, of a stock that you would consider to make it outstanding or, or particularly worthy of examination with a view to investing? Yes, quality is indeed an important word. For us, quality companies is highly correlated with what we like to call pricing power. We believe that pricing power, whenever a company has it, gives better predictability in terms of sales momentum or even margin improvement. So we do believe that by Picking quality companies, we need to assess first the industry structure in which the company is active and then the advantage or the competitive advantage of the company within that industry. We are very mindful to understand and uh, getting to where the sector of the industry is going to. Is it a consolidating industry? Is it already a consolidated industry? And we believe that the quality of the industry structure is a key determinant or a key factor for what we call quality. Because whenever you invest in a sector which is consolidating or where you have less and less actors or players, you have de facto better visibility on the pricing power of the leaders of this industry. And therefore, it's very important to understand then if the leader that we have identified in one industry is capable of sustaining this advantage for the medium term. So what we try to understand is, do they have a specific advantage that is not easily replicable by competitors? Is it scale? Is it technology? It can be also a change in management with a better vision on the disruption going on in the sector. But we need to find several aspects to understand a company and believe if it is a quality company or not. So, yeah, quality is a key factor for us to invest in a company. Yeah, no, that's very interesting and that makes it much clearer. And would you say that then you'd select, in terms of quality attributes, would you select an industry, a sector, or is it possible to have a quality company in a sector that you don't consider has all the attributes of a sort of safe sector and a sector which is not vulnerable to rapid change? Or is a selection, first of all, 
the sector and then within that sector, the particularly outstanding companies for the characteristics you look at? Since we are a specialist of our sectors as PM analysts, we need to understand exactly what encompasses the industry, what are the different risks, and also, more importantly, if there's any reason for the industry to consolidate. So I would say, of course, that's very important. But as sector specialists, we need to come up with what we identify as first a growing industry and maybe if this industry is not yet well-structured, if it is on the verge to consolidate. So it's a responsibility of the analyst PM to come up with an idea that can be discussed then within the team about these quality attributes that we may have found, even if the sector is not that interesting, maybe it is consolidating because there are too many players and we have identified specific attributes to the company. Maybe it comes with technology, the end market or the relationship with the suppliers that we find is pretty unique. So in a nutshell, we always start with understanding the industry, but by no means we have any taboo on any industry. We look at then what is going on with the company that we find interesting. And maybe even if a sector is not highly structured yet, we may have a story of consolidation going on. And this is what we have seen in many sectors happening. So maybe what is most difficult is probably whenever we deal with large cap equity, you have many divisions and many market segments and industries, various industries. So we need to do this work to understand the evolution of market share in each division or in each uh, business units of the company. So it takes time, but it's mm. very rewarding because at the end, we should be able to say with a kind of certainty that the attributes of a company are right. And this is a company which is in a consolidating industry. Do you think you could give us an example of an industry that you'd see as favourable, as fulfilling what you've described in terms of the uh, characteristics that you look for? And perhaps also one that you see as not so positive because it doesn't fulfill the characteristics. I mean, do you have examples that you could give us? It's always moving. That's the interesting part of analyzing this industry structure. I would mention probably an industry which has been consolidating a lot, which um, well known, obviously, uh, industrial gases. And we appreciate it a lot to see, obviously, this high correlation between fewer actors, but also uh, impressive improvement in terms of margins. So we used to own actually two companies with that sector because we were convinced about the merits of this consolidation and the way the pricing power could develop in that configuration. We have also obviously sectors which are more on a fragmentation basis. If we mention, for instance, food retail, especially with the internet and e-commerce development, we had a fragmentation which has accelerated. So it's always more difficult to find the right player in that category because we have to be mindful that, of course, there's price war, there are discounters, there are big scale boxes. So you can see in different geographies uh, also different uh, features for this sector. Okay. I mean, how does this make you different, do you think, from other European stock pickers? 
I think this aspect of looking at in-depth research and understanding all this um, uh, industrial approach, this discipline that we have, makes the team pretty unique, I would say, versus competitors. And the second aspect to that is probably the fact that we have a team decision-making process. No one owns the truth, even if it's a specialist on this sector. What we need to come up is a solid case that we discuss uh, together. So 9 p.m. and analyst. We exchange views, we argument, and we, at the end of the day, come to a consensus. So we do have a vote. It's a very democratic way of doing things. So this, uh, let's say, this approach in terms of research produced with a very specific focus on industry structure plus the team decision-making process are two differentiated aspects for our active management. Okay. Well, if we just sort of step back and look at the European equity market more broadly, what is your view of how the market is likely to evolve and trade over the next few months between now and, say, the end of the year? There's a lot of talk about valuations of equities being stretched What's your view on that? We believe, of course, that first, European equities have done 10% year-to-date and on a 12-month basis, it's still a very uh, appreciable double-digit growth. But we believe that today at this juncture, there's still probably more value than probably for uh, US peers. We think that certainly a mild recession is priced in. And of course, the next quarter will be a check to reality in terms of what's happening with the consumers and all the pricing put by the companies since the COVID period and all the rising commodities that have happened. So, of course, there will be this check to reality at the Q3 results. And we like this kind of period because most of the time we have many market rotation happening and it's always difficult to make or to highlight the, the right fundamentals of the company. But we believe also that European asset class offers an interesting diversification. The market is not only driven by seven super stocks like it is the case maybe in the US. We have a more broadened space in terms of financials, but also industrials and even luxury goods. So we do believe that the European asset class contains still a bit more value and we remain positive about our stock selection since we have invested in quality companies. We believe they can absorb probably more than the peers of their, you know, the rest of their industry, the different economic shocks or a change in geopolitics that we may witness. Mm. That's interesting because last week we were talking to one of your colleagues about financials, which if I remember rightly account for about 15% of the European equity market. So what are the other sectors that have big weights in the composition of the European equity market? If you think of a sort of standard index, what are the other big sectors? I would say industrials, capital goods. This is a pretty big market still. And of course, we have the weight of Germany within it. But we have also an interesting one that is not easily replicable. And I'm talking about luxury goods, including also probably a cosmetic or beauty market. But it's also pretty unique to Europe. And it's getting also interesting, even for US company like, you know, Coty, that is currently studying the idea of being listed 
on the Paris Stock Exchange in order to benefit from this halo effect from the luxury goods, since we have, you know, LVMH, Hermès, L'Oréal and so on. So I think sometimes it's a part of the, uh, uh, of the industries that is uh, uh, not talked a lot about. But this year there has been a, a very strong performance from this sector. And of course, this is uh, the one to monitor with um, economics and uh, probably also the change happening in China at the moment. Yes, yeah. Okay, very good. Um, just to move on um, and talk a little bit about the environmental, societal and, and governance considerations that are fundamental within your approach. Can you talk a little bit about these considerations in your stock picking? How do you take into account the uh, environmental, societal and governance considerations in stock picking? Whenever we release our proprietary research uh, on our case, we do integrate uh, the ESG score that is provided by the Sustainability Center of PNP Asset Management. And we try to first to understand the score, to exchange views with the extra financial analysts who are running the scores and can bring some insights about the companies from you know, environmental issues or social issues that we don't have as a more financial analyst. So um, it's always nice to, to have in mind the score. And we are dedicated for our Article 8 fund to get an average score above the benchmarks. So we do care about this score, obviously, in the uh, portfolio construction. We are also supporting any engagement with the stewardship team whenever it is necessary, whenever we believe that the company can do better. And this is clearly a win-win situation. So we do take into account all the uh, knowledge that and the expertise that can bring uh, the sustainability center. And of course, with the voting rights as a shareholder, we also have an impact on company policy. Yeah. And the SFDR that you referred to, of course, is the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, which categorizes investment products by the extent to which they fulfill those regulations with different categories for funds and products, depending on the allocations they make with regard to environmental, societal and governance considerations. Well, thank you very much. That's very enlightening. It's been great talking to you. It's a fascinating subject, and I think we've covered some of the important points with regard to your team's active management of large-cap uh, European equities. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Andrew. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Talking Heads. If you'd like more information on the topics we've discussed, please reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact or check out Viewpoint, our website for investment insights at viewpoint.bnpparibas-am.com. Viewpoint brings commentary and analysis in a variety of formats from investment outlooks to asset allocation videos and podcasts to help investors make better informed decisions. We recommend subscribing to Talking Heads on your favorite podcast channel you'll receive your podcast episodes every Monday afternoon. If you like Talking Heads, leave us a positive review and a nice rating. And just before we go, I'd like to mention that the Talking Heads podcast is available on YouTube. Visit youtube.com slash BNPPAM playlist and tap or click on Talking Heads. You've been listening to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast with me, Andy Craig, and Valérie Charrière, Deputy Head of European Large Cap Equities at BNP Paribas Asset Management. 
please do join us next week. Until then, take care. This presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.